We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories, their nuanced conversations, and forward thinking, and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing, but not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Welcome to another live episode of the Big Tent Revival with Fade to Gray. And today it is my pleasure to bring on Subculture Incorporated. If you've listened to Fade to Gray podcast, you may have heard an interview with Robert we put out just recently um, on his story and a lot of the work um, that they're doing with Subculture Incorporated. And it is an absolute pleasure to have them on today. So, with no further ado, let me introduce Robert Munson and Tamise. How hey, are you guys hey. doing today? Good. Robert is muted. It's like he's never done this before. <laughs> <laughs> first, yeah, time. So, first time. <laughs> no, thanks. So, and, yeah, thanks for having us on. Um, I am excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. Hey, let's see your face. Yeah, we I can't mean, even see you. He's trying to show us right, his guns. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. I have been working out in uh, <laughs> in uh, quarantine. So, yeah, I have been you know, try, doing what I need to do. show your lats? Yeah, you know, I mean, I do what I can do. You know, I'm, I'm single, too. So. Oh, oh, I'm out here. Throwing it out there. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. So, show it off. I mean, come on now. We're on Facebook Live. Oh, my gosh. Like, I... <laughs> Like, this is your opportunity, my friend. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, uh, just a little bit about us. Uh, Tamise runs uh, Subculture, and she's my boss with Subculture. <laughs> and, uh, Am I? <laughs> so, just give us a little bit about Subculture, and then we'll jump into today's topic, Tamise. Sure. Yeah, I started Subculture to advocate for Black students. I did a lot of like campus ministry uh, and realized that most of the time campus ministries, the help that they were offering was very theoretical and abstract. And the students that I was dealing with, however, were dealing with issues that were real tangible and had real needs. And so I thought, like, what would it look like for us to create something that came alongside people who were trying to reach Black students that actually put some like actual bread in their hands. And so mm-hmm. subculture was created just out of being annoyed about the fact that I couldn't actually tangibly uh, show students that they were loved and that they were had dignity and deserved to finish school. So what we do is basically help students when they face a crisis that would cause them to have to leave college. Uh, and we do that mainly by creating content and doing consulting work. So that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we also give us awesome. Yeah, we give out scholarships and yeah, um, yeah, so content, scholarships, you name it. We do a lot of things with subculture. So Mm -hmm. that's the organization we help run. And then were you about to say something, Seth? Yeah, I'm I'm curious, though, because for a lot of people, they might not know like the need. So Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm assuming you guys will talk about that, but I really want to dive into that a little bit, like what the what the need is um, to where this has risen to the level of doing something like this. I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, But a lot of people might not know, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I mean, you want to jump in, Rob? Yeah, go ahead. Like our, I mean, our our tagline is that we clear a path, right? And I think what I was dealing with in my own life um, and in the lives of the students that I was working with was that they had a lot of barriers, not just to graduating, but to faith. And um, what subculture is trying to do is decolonize everything that we do from the way that we give scholarships to the way that we do crisis relief, to the way that we talk about faith and talk about scripture, talk about God. And so we have kind of um, four barriers that we've identified that are cultural barriers, which have to do with just whiteness and supremacy that is the foundation of our country. We have spiritual barriers that students face. (laughs) Say what? Stop. (laughs) Um, uh, We have spiritual barriers that I think are are unique in the sense that they're connected to some of that white supremacy as well, right? So we have to like debunk this idea of a white 
conservative Republican Jesus, right? And so on the other end of that, the more wait, practical wait, there's arena. There's no white Jesus? I'm, I'm feeling, oh, I, all of a sudden, I just realized. Are you feeling attacked? I'm a little outnumbered. Surprise! Um, <laughs> and this, this doesn't happen that often. Um, you guys need a break, not, though? Because that's usually, degree. it's hard for a lot of the people to hear you. So I don't know if we need a break. Or I, no, no, no. I, we, we may want to unpack that a little bit. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, obviously, not obviously let me that's a tagline that i use quite a bit but um yeah yeah let's 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 and we'll uh, we'll unpack that are you, are you we'll unpack that the the white jesus part in the actual like in the content of what we're going to talk about actually okay yeah. 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 yeah so yeah yeah so that's a good question i i feel you yeah, yeah. So you're calling all white people jesus. racist is that what you guys oh are doing right now oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> trolling from the beginning <laughs> oh my god <laughs> go, go ahead to me <laughs> yeah i mean i don't have i'm like thrown off now because i i really really talk about white jesus and how he tried to kill me but no, um, no, no. Yeah, yeah i think well, I, yeah I, like jesus was white what are we talking about <laughs> oh my god <laughs> just All might right, have so, to turn into like a counseling right, so, session so, so keep going so people who, who might be listening right now you know it's kind of maybe like offensive like you know oh here we go you know more democratic speech you know like because a lot of times this can be you know ends up in political parties it yeah. ends up being yeah. triggering for people that like don't consider themselves privileged you know worked hard for everything they had you know and yeah. now they're now they're being called privileged so even that conversation sometimes like people automatically start tuning out yeah so, so but yeah so what i want to say here so so let's sketch this out and clean it in the sense of let's get through um, subculture's mission and then that will lead beautifully into the topic yeah. of what we're actually right. talking about and yeah. um, hopefully walking away from this conversation, hopefully we will give people more uh, food for thought because you're right, often these kind of topics um, polarize people to think, oh, uh, I, I can check out from this and I have the right. luxury of not talking about this because faith, race, uh, Christianity, politics are things that I have the luxury from checking out. Right. You know, and uh, so hopefully uh, stick with it, stay with it, <laughs> stay with it. <laughs> but so, yeah, so give us a bit more about um, subculture's mission and the, and the need there. Like even yes. the fin financial barriers too. Yes. Yeah, so it's like uh, most students face about $10,000 of debt after financial aid in school. So if they work full time, let's just say they work full time and they go to school full time, that still only makes up about $7,000 for them for the year. So they're already lacking about $3,500, give or take. And that's without a, a significant crisis that might happen to them while they're in school. And so we're just trying to raise funding to help students who face crisis because they can't like call a rich, rich uncle. Most of the time my students were like being invited to these really expensive conferences and they couldn't pay rent. And it just, it like bothered me so much because I didn't have the ability to step into that, but I had the ability to bring them to these conferences that would continue to like, I don't know, indoctrinate them to a Jesus that didn't have actual tangible help for them. And so, um, so when I finished, when I moved from Atlanta, I just decided that um, I didn't see something quite like what was bothering me. And so I decided to just make it. And, um, and so that's what we do. And we partner with organizations, ministries, universities, all of that. We just want black students to thrive. And we're, we're either trying to clear barriers for them or clear barriers that people have to reaching them. Um, and so that's what we're after. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really good. And then we noticed, um, you know, for example, we had a, we had a scholarship request last week for a hundred dollars. And what was heartbreaking <laughs> about that is a hundred dollars would make or break a black students yeah. whole year. And we noticed for white students when we were doing um, college, now, yes, these are generalities, so don't, don't come for us. Like, I, w I was a broke white student. Yes, we know that because we've done a lot of campus yeah. ministry, so don't, we're not dumb. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we noticed $100, though, by and large, though, $100 would make or break a black student's um, whole um, 
career in in college and and so Mm -hmm. we we found though that hundred dollars uh was a significant barrier to our black students understanding who god was though in Mm -hmm. a way that wasn't on the same level of our white students and so hence subculture Mm -hmm. pretty much yeah (laughs) and then and then so Go ahead, Omar, what were you going to say? No, no, no. I was saying that's, I mean, that's an awesome way to, uh, the saying is, you know, see the need and fill it. And I yes. feel kind of like that's what Tamisa's done and, you know, Robert coming alongside, you know, bring, helping bring content um, and, and the conversation and bringing awareness is, is awesome. And I, I like um, your posture already, Robert, you know, from the beginning, just kind of like understanding that there's going to be people uh, whether justified or not, that's not the point, but there's going to be people who are going to have an emotional reaction yeah. to, to these type of conversations and to, to get past that barrier to where like, so where everybody can say like, no matter how you feel about it, there's still a need here. There's, this is still happening. It's yes. like, we can't, we can't be blind. And once you hear the conversation or once it's like, it's like, it's up to you then as responsibility, I like, I'll, my, I'll, myself included anybody like okay well what can what can we tangibly do and and it's one of those things like denial is the worst thing that that somebody can do in a privileged position precisely to to, to try to say that it's not there um you're not going to lose anything by admitting that maybe you've had privilege in your life so precisely precisely which leads us then to the topic today like this is a good man we just weave in this in so jesus uh, is at work brother <laughs> come, come, on. On. come on somebody so uh so the topic when chris first presented it to me he said hey we're doing this thing called big town revival and i was like wow that's interesting um and i was like where are y'all coming from and um <laughs> and he he shared uh some of the things uh under this big tent um and i thought it was really interesting obviously one because i grew up as an atheist and y'all were doing this kind of play on words with big tent revival um and i thought that was um very interesting to Thanks. me <laughs> and, um, and the thing that I wanted to bring to the table is um, is uh, this notion of uh, race uh, and religion and Christianity and history. And I wanted to bring all of those um, to the table and have a discussion. And these uh, things don't have to be exhaustive. Um, and just have a discussion, just an open, honest discussion, because what I feel honestly, even when you think of Big Tent Revivals, part of what pains me is when I see a lot of people deconstructing or shying away from their notion of Christianity or being hurt from Christianity. If we're honest, most, if you could d- dig in, what they're really hurt by is white Christianity, if we're honest. And so often when people say they're deconstructing or I'm hurt by the church, the form, if I, if I will ask people, describe to me what you're hurt by. As they begin to say all the things they're hurt by, I'm, I, I usually am saying like a lot of that are issues of white supremacy. And, and, and they don't have to be, they can be, they don't have to synonymously be one and the same with Christianity. And what I want to bring to the table is there is a tradition, there, there are rich traditions outside of white conservative Christianity that many don't even, they're not even aware of. And and so just mentioning Christianity can be triggering for some, even the notion of how subculture was formed. People aren't even aware that there are traditions that are based in other, <laughs> in Christianity, based in other things and historical things outside of um, other et- ethnic groups outside of Christianity. Go ahead, Seth, what were you going to say? As the only white person in the room. Um, well, I mean, I'm halfway there. Okay. 
You own it. People may argue more. You own it. May argue more. Um, What is what is white Christianity? (laughs) And I know I actually know the difference. And I I I, but I'm going to ask that question. What what (laughs) is? I mean, so I'm going to take it in a. I'm going to take it in a. I'm I'm going to answer it in a in a in a different way than what people would answer it. So. I I I will root this by I will root this conversation in Black Christianity first, um, rather than root it in White Christianity. That's so, the first part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> okay. I will, is to okay. go ahead and decenter that. <laughs> yeah. So I will decenter White Christianity and center Black yeah. Christianity. So it's good. good. So so when I look at how um, the traditions of how, um, for lack of a better term, black theology has formed within uh, America, there have been this rich tradition of black men and women who have found um, hope in Holy Spirit as liberator. They found these rich traditions in um, identifying with he- the Hebraic um people um to the point where frederick Douglass, when you read his um scathing critiques of white christians his presumption were that they're they're actually white christians were not christians at all so how he Mm. would say how he would frame that question were when he looked out at christianity his presumption were was seemingly white Christians are not Christians because Mm -hmm. when you read his critiques were any person that could enslave another human being and then go into the house of God and sing and clap and dance. Well, that person does not know God. Hmm. So hearing you talk, Robert, obviously there's my obviously again, but it is obvious the answer to this if you've heard the earlier episode but i mean you speaking like this i mean clearly you have to be going to an all-black church then right now i mean like with that mm, with no. that type of logic and thinking like when I mean, you wouldn't no you wouldn't be caught dead being attending on an all no, white church. I, because no 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 because i so no and black churches can be steeped in whiteness too yes mm. that's the other thing one because the reason why I'm rooting this conversation outside of um, what has become synonymous with Christianity is because there seems to be these, these notions that we have accepted as fact, right? Like, (laughs) and merely calling attention to it almost as jarring right (laughs) and um and everyone's like whoa like i haven't even thought of that and i'm like okay it's okay to examine things like why we believe what we believe is is okay right like so no i actually go to a profoundly multiracial church um (laughs) it's actually more white than anything um um (laughs) it's um it's actually a pretty largely white church um um, yeah. so, so, so when you speak from this, it's not like you're speaking at a place. Yeah, of, yeah. Like, I, I, I don't have a Wakandan church. Your, if that, yeah. if that's <laughs> less than anyone fear, um, <laughs> that might be lit though. So, so, be, so what? It, so, I guess what I, I want to say is there, there is a testimony of um, within our nation of an enduring gospel witness of people who, under uh, intense pressure who adopted a religion that did not find its origins in Europe, because that's also a lazy narrative. And they, but they found immense um, rest, immense peace and immense endurance in the Bible to the point where they looked at their captors and said that they don't know the, the Bible, right? And so I would say um, that Christianity is not the white man's religion. It finds 
um, it's uh, richness in people who are uh, minorities uh, and oppressed people. And I, I think that's why if you look at uh, black people and people who are oppressed, you, you will find some of the richest uh, preaching um, and teaching. Go ahead, Tamise. You look like you were going to say something. I have nothing to say. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, yeah. So, I, I look like I was tweaking, but I was trying to find my uh, Frederick Douglass, the narrative, to see if I could find that quote, but I don't know where it is. So. I think that what you just said was poetry. Um, it was <laughs> spoken word beautiful. Yeah, because I, th- I think often when we come at Christianity in America, we come at it through the, the, the white lens. But I think a greater question to look at then is what other, um, what other people group or what time in history would captives take on a religion to the point of so identifying with it that they would take it, um, be subsumed in it, and and so identify with it that they would say, "Oh, this is so rich that y'all aren't saved." <laughs> like <laughs> this is so rich, and it, these texts are so true, and we find such rich traditions. Y'all are y'all y'all definitely aren't following these tenets, right? And um, and then there's this lasting legacy throughout the ages. Black people have stayed true to the traditions of the text. Um, now, not saying black people have not not been perfect. So that's that's to, to yeah yeah to your point, Omar. That's that's what I'm saying. I haven't been like oh, I'm only with black people uh, to the exclusion of all the other races. That's also <laughs> I want to give that disclaimer. <laughs> So one of the people currently in this webinar has a question and it kind of flows right along with this. And I, I want to ask, I'm just going to read it because I think it applies. Um, but I ha- may have misheard the explanation, but are you saying white Christianity lacks real Christians because they have blind spots like slavery, which is obvious in 2020, but maybe not in the 1800s. Wouldn't all races have some type of blind spot to sin while still being Christian. I mean, can I? I, I know yeah, Robert has a more eloquent answer, but to me, no, no, no. <laughs> I would Stop say that, pro- that the the question, while I understand where it's coming from, it, it kind of it, it's kind of bothersome in the sense that it's not so much that white Christianity has blind spots; it has disagreement. So it's it's completely a different thing. Like it's not so much that in the eighteen hundreds there was this blind. Spot to slavery, it's the fact that there was this severe disagreement with God, like to hate something that God loves, period, is a disagreement from from the get-go. And so I think the part of the worldview of being a Christian is that we found ourselves in some sort of agreement with God, right? Um, And so to me, that's where white Christianity begins to go off the road, is the fact that there is this this insistence like insidious disagreement with God about those who are made in God's image. The other thing I would say about the 1800s when Europeans began to take over the narrative is the fact that they forgot they were the other, right? Like they aren't Jews, they're Gentiles. And I think understanding that you were the other in this whole text, the text ain't talking about you. (laughs) It's talking about them. And so to understand that I'm other and I'm being brought into this story, that in and of itself creates a level of humility that would have probably checked white Christianity if other people had had power at that time. Though That's my thought. Yeah. And I, yes, I, yes. It's eloquently said because to, I think that that is what, where, things massively went off the road. And you see, even before America's inception, European Christianity went off. And this, please hear me, this is not a scathing critique of white people at, at its core. I some love of my me best some, friends are white. Yeah, I love me some white people. So if the thing you're taking away is like, oh, they brought some black people to hate on white people. 
please woosah. <laughs> um, I love white people. The reason why this is important is, is merely because of this big tent revival, because a lot of people leave Christianity because they feel that the questions they have, the, dis- the rubs within themselves are at odds with Christianity. And my point is, it doesn't have to be. Um, And so when European Christianity started to go off the rails and they started to colonize everything is, is with this othering piece. When you understand that Jesus himself probably had more in common with a Mexican immigrant, you will profoundly understand the gospel in ways that, I mean, light bulbs will go on on yeah. in your head you will understand jesus who his whole life jewish people by the time of jesus all had been in slavery and bondage their whole life <laughs> so jesus actually probably had more in common with indigenous people and with chattel slaves than with the average white european person so if you know that you will read the Bible in such different ways. Hmm. Does that make sense? The, how, your posture and humility. You will um, teach the Bible differently. You will, it will make chattel slavery impossible. It will actually make it impossible. So part of my point in putting this on the table is the strain of Christianity we made here in America is impossible when you read the text. Mm-hmm. in certain ways and therefore all of the atrocities that we've done here to the lgbt community the atrocities we did to indigenous people and making people feel like they had to choose between their faith and um um conversion therapy with lgbtq community um those things are atrocities to me and i it's like, do I have to be gay or choose um, Christianity? That's a false choice. And my point and why I have passion is like, no, that's because of a strain of Christianity that was created. And if you understand the Savior that you're following, and if you understand the, the people group that he came from in historical context, then it all makes sense. And so I'm saying in who I am, my ethnic identity and what I bring to my Christianity. And if, and if you guys will allow black people humbly to come and present history in the Bible to you in ways humbly, we can bring something enlightening to the text. That's what I I would say to Christianity. Wow. I can, say without a shadow of a doubt i don't know what it feels like out there in facebook live world but like the tone i think for me is just changed you like hearing the way you put that because i had a question and i'm still gonna ask it but i feel like i already know the answer after the way you explained the heart behind what you guys are doing there and, and bringing comparing jesus to a mexican immigrant like I felt like I've been pretty open-minded and pretty liberal in my stance in Christianity, but I haven't really even looked at it that way or the fact that Jesus had literally has more in common with s- slavery or black people or like, you know, the Jews, he was a Jew. Like that's, I don't know how that disconnect happens, but that's, so that's, that leads into my question. I was going to ask, because we're talking deconstruction and how people are deconstructing away from what we're calling quote unquote. I liked when you called it like European Christianity because it it seems less threatening to you know <laughs> to to white people. But, yeah. Because um, if we because say white, it feels like attack like it does. You know? It does for like, some reason. It, it does. But. European is nicer. It's a euphemism. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how white people are a little sensitive in that regard? Yeah, it's like it's like it's nice. It's Caucasus Mountains. Uh, but so my question though, like with working with black students who are deconstructing their faith. Do you have many who are deconstructed from what you might consider 
black Christianity, but the reason I would be hesitant to even ask that question after listening to your explanation is, is there such thing really as black Christianity in America? If the, even as to me said earlier, even the, most of the black churches are being influenced by the same Jesus. So even if people are deconstructing from black church, are they deconstructing from black church or is it still, or what are they deconstructing from? That's an interesting question. question. Go ahead, Tamise. Well, I was thinking about it like in the sense of, I've actually never, Omar, like never heard anyone say black Christianity. I do hear black church. And so I think even within that statement of the black church, there are very problematic things within the traditions within the black church that I think are sort of that younger people are sort of bucking against. But I think even within the black church, there was a preservation for the most part, there was a preservation of certain things that were um, true to, to black identity. And so for me, that's the difference. Like, I don't really know what a black Christianity would look like. Um, but I do think there are definitely problematic things within the black church for sure. Yeah. I, um, yeah, this is a very thoughtful question. I think, um, there are things that I would say are, um, uh, contained within black theology and, and don't get thrown off by that, that are, there are merely things that, em- that um, are emphasized um, within black theology that are merely things that traditional theology don't emphasize. In the same way that feminism, people give feminism a bad rap. But when you boil down feminism, <laughs> feminism is actually helpful because essentially feminists are like, hey, please don't treat us like trash, we're women. And feminism, that term is an indictment against our culture. Um, Feminism wouldn't have to exist if our culture wasn't trash. (laughs) And so in in like manner, black theology would not have to exist if regular theology was not (laughs) trash. (laughs) So if you were getting, they're like, black theology? I just do regular theology. I'm like, no, regular theology is deficient. It's it's vitamin D deficient. So, um, so vitamin D, <laughs> right? <laughs> 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 so, uh, so, but I, but I, I would say, uh, in in like manner to what uh, uh, to me said, there are some very destructive things that we find in some black, black traditional churches. That I Let's have. unpack that a little bit because you know, sure, I, I think uh, sure. People, I mean, most people who are listening probably sure. grew up in white traditional um, churches, and I, like, so y'all know I love my some people. Common, common destructive things. Uh, sure. Uh, so, so black a book church. that I recommend is uh, by James Cone, who is the father of Black Liberation Theology, um, and it's the book is called "My Soul Looks Back." It's very short. Um, it he delivers a scathing. A report to everybody, white America, uh, black America, black churches, everybody gets a piece. <laughs> it's a very, everybody, everyone's equal opportunity. Everybody, can even, get it. even Korean Jesus. Yeah, actually, Asia does get a little piece. Actually, uh, every, so everybody, everybody gets a little equal piece in the pie. I think yeah, even Latin America, everybody gets a little piece. So, um, right. so Equal if everybody, if everyone in your life wants to get a little hurt feelings, my soul looks back. Um, it's a little eight ninety nine uh, purchase. Um, I probably bought like ten of them for my friends, so you might not be able to find a lot of them. So, uh, but I would say probably one thing that's picked up in a lot of churches that I hear most often is a lot of. Re- um, religious um, rules. So I think something that developed, um, especially after slavery, um, was the notion that um, good works could save you. So something that happened um, that even my father, who was not a religious, who's not religious at all, um, was this notion that um, if you didn't smoke, you didn't slow dance, you didn't drink, um, you didn't show your shoulders, you didn't like dance in any way, you could be saved. So which right. led to very religious, controlling, oppressive homes. 
And also in those same homes, um, I mean, homosexuality was a no. Um, in those same homes, like a lot of abusive, like they would try and beat homosexuality out of you. And so um, it was, it's, 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 it's a shame and an indictment on that form of Christianity. Um, and so those traditions passed uh, from generation to generation. And I know why they developed, um, but it doesn't make them okay. You yeah, know, I was so gonna say, I, when I hear you talking about that, I think, well, of course you're going to feel that way as a black man because you know, you want to succeed in white America and, and you're already are behind the, the eight ball as they say. So like, of course you don't want to be labeled a slut on top of that. Of course you don't want to, you know, to add to things that are going to get in your way. Cause already the color of your skin is going to slow you yeah. down. So yeah, you have more pressure. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's trash. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not justifying, but it seems like it, it, it's product of the system for sure. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely I, right. I would also add, though, in terms of the black church, just having worked with with black college students for so long, um, a lot of the things that were refreshing for them was the ability to ask questions. So a lot of times in the black church, it was like, we don't question God. And I remember so many times I would do these like little things where I would just go out and say, like, if you could ask God anything. And the students would be like, you're not supposed to do that. We don't question God. And it's like, you know, never even knowing that the Bible is actually filled with questions. Like that's all people do in the Bible is question God. And like, so their ability to kind of enter in and kind of have a level of dignity and nuance to what they believe, I think is really important to them. And it wasn't really offered. There are some churches that are great at that, but for the most part, I think there was a disconnect generationally with students who had a little bit more curiosity and a little bit more exposure, obviously, than those who were older than them. And so when their questions, their genuine questions were met with being shut down, I think it just created a sense in which they, they don't want anything to do with it and they'll go on their own search. The other thing that is, common is the whole like belonging before you believe and not feeling like I can fully be myself that everything is a show and like you know the hypocrisy you know I know what these deacons are doing back here but then they're telling me I'm going to hell because I went to the club last night there I mean like literally that specific um and so I think for for a lot of a lot of black young people it's this this longing for authenticity this longing for someone to admit that there is actually truth outside of the Bible, right? Like they have nuance and they have ideas. And oftentimes people don't affirm that, yes, this is true. And I, and I mean, what I see with Jesus is like, you know, the guy comes up and says, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, well, what does it say? What do you say? Like, what does the law say? How do you read it? And there's this affirmation that like, I have a brain and I can think and I can reason. And I think, you know, for me, I feel like if the black church doesn't begin to take that turn, then they're going to continue to just lose hemorrhage black young people. Um, and that, that bothers me. Obviously, that's why subculture exists, but it, it really is bothers true. me. It's true. And, and something else that I want to put on, on, on the table about um, faith and Christianity, um, especially among, um, among Black people, is that this notion of uh, atheism being kind of a luxury of... <laughs> of I really the, meant it, though. <laughs> of, of, of athe atheism is a luxury of... A privilege, right? And um, when I look at the 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 faith of the marginalized and all that we have endured as a people, um, often you know, like Christianity and religion is seen as like an opiate of the people, and it's like, oh, you had to because like you needed to believe in something, and it's used as like this negative uh, scathing critique. But I want to flip it on its head and say, could we possibly look at the beauty of a people who uh, clung to their ideals and their morals and their values and in a faith that uh, superseded what they were able to see in the natural, right? And that it, it was more than an opiate of the people, one. And also that... Um, it meant everything to them. 
they were able to rise above their um, socioeconomic standing. They were able to be delivered from chattel slavery. They were able to keep progressing through every epoch of time within America. They were able to be delivered from Jim Crow um, in a reign of terror in America and to keep progressing and to ultimately full civil right freedoms. I, I always say it this way. I am the first person born in my family with full civil rights in completion. Wow. The first person. Wow. And I think it doesn't hit people. The first, like I am the fullness of my ancestors' dreams on American soil. And, um, and so, and I think, so often I think people look at Christianity and I get it because I, I, I was an atheist and I, and I'm pretty critical. And I don't know. I still am halfway atheistic and thinking, <laughs> but I, be careful, I, be careful now. I just be like, it depends on the day, the lunar cycle, uh, what color I'm wearing. I don't know. I don't know. But I think when you look at what continues to happen because we're enduring faith, when you look at, the church, the, the black church was the center of social um, change. Mm -hmm. I think it's also incredible. So I want to also put that on the table that for many other ethnic groups, church and faith is something philosophical that they get to debate among themselves. But for the black people, it is something that was um, essential for survival and thriving. And so it's also a beautiful story of redemption for black people that, that it is, it's interwoven and interspersed with our thriving. We would not be having this conversation altogether without the story of Christianity and the black church um, at all. And I think that is beautiful. Even if you don't believe in Christianity, I think it's beautiful. I can tell you that most white evangelicals do not think about that that's not in their repertoire we i mean i was raised kind of believing that you know the black church was kind of out of control you know um a lot of dancing a lot of chanting a lot of yelling um but like good old good old town but it wasn't but we don't like, I don't know the history. I didn't grow up learning that. Um, so it never really impacted the way that I evaluated my faith or viewed things moving forward and kind of seeing it now, 30 years in, it's, it's pretty eye opening. I mean, just the fact that, I mean, I know this in my history because uh, being a, part of assemblies of god for a decade but <laughs> the greatest move of god yeah. ever that happened in the united states um move of god in quotations because i mean like but like what is power had to do with black people you know mm -hmm. but it was kind of like swept under the rug with the azusa street revival that was all the black church and black ministers and white people coming alongside and helping what they were already doing and and throwing race aside and things like i mean great like pentecostal moves of god were happening at that time and then but then we're like oh yeah they woke up one day like oh yeah that's right we're, we're different colored skin you're, you're supposed to be over there what are you doing you know like and then yeah <laughs> shout out to you some movie guys <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but there's some, some some rich history that like i mean doesn't really get talked about and it's just like a footnote in the somebody's god history like you know like mm -hmm. it's but yes very much so very much so I have many thoughts on it. <laughs> so, okay. I, can I ask some questions on sure. just some logistics in regards to Southern Culture, Southern no. Culture Incorporated? No questions. Where, where's the money coming from? You tell me, bro. So, no, like, for real. Like, I, mean, <laughs> Jesus. I, I heard that from Robert and I was like, this is amazing. And I'm sure there's grants. I'm sure there's ways of, of getting that. Um, but, I mean... Uh, do you have donors like is there yeah, a fundraiser it's mainly donors and uh but again like 
again, the whole idea of decentering whiteness in a way of wanting to say like, there are brilliant people on my team who think and lead and who can write. And so let's generate revenue and advocate for people just as much as we ask for donation, because we don't want people to think I'm helping the little black children right. <laughs> make it through school. I mean, we'll right. take the donors, but we don't want it to be a sense in which, um, the matriculation of our students is dependent on charity from white people because most of the time white people are the ones who give to a nonprofit just because of traditions and things. But so I, I think for us, it's really important to do both and to generate revenue to advocate for these students using our own giftedness and not being pimped out by people who would use our giftedness to make their big organizations rich. Rather, we create our own stuff. We use the revenue from that stuff to, to pay it forward, right? To say, we believe in, in your dignity and we want to see these students as agents of change, not charity mm-hmm. cases. And so that's like super important to me. So yeah, we do have donors. Um, we have a couple of like corporate grants and things like that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, we're no, open. That, that, Anybody's a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robert yeah. wants benefits. <laughs> I mean, there's just a lot of money in white evangelicalism. If only there was like a way (laughs) of funneling that in, however. Yeah, yeah, because we had, I mean, yes, so we have donors and then we also um, have these revenue generators where we wrote a book um, highlighting um, uh, black believers throughout history who have um, made notable contributions contributions. We're also working, uh, Tamisa and I are co-authoring a, a book on the theological implications of hip hop. Yeah. I'm interested and, in that one. <laughs> and the kids, we're doing a, we, we found that we have a bunch of millennial parents that are asking questions about their kids. And so and, and we're actually doing children's books. <laughs> so like, we never, I never thought we'd do a children's book, but we're working on that too. So, yeah. yeah. And so we just have a cu- couple different ways, you know, and then we have the yeah. podcast and stuff and people support the podcast and Patreon and stuff. So, so yeah, so a couple different ways we make money for the organization. Yeah. Merrily, merrily eating off these streams. <laughs> for sure we're about at the hour mark um so what we're gonna do now um is we're going to continue this conversation um plus there's a really great question we're gonna ask from chad um so what to kind of wrap things up for the facebook live feed what's the name of the podcast like where can people access that because i even forget um myself yeah so you can go to the hive dot show That's where all of our segments are located, but we have the high, which is kind of a amalgamation of different shows all in one. And then we have where's the lie, which is the one that we started with, with Robert, myself and Tamara. That one's a little more spicy, a little more. It's for petty and pious people. We'll put it that way. Okay. (laughs) And and this book, where can we find that? Uh Subcultureinc.org. If you go to our website, there's a tab that says, I think it says resources or publications or something like that. And you can get it there. Yeah. And kind of continue this on Chad. Okay. Who's, we ready. Chad, who's in this chat with us, um, asked this is question. Is that Chad Johnson or is that Chad? Your I don't know you? who it is. I is think Ch- it's Chad Johnson and he named himself, Hi, Chad. Chad, he named himself Chad, on, Chad Showalter to, I'm assume, mock me in some way um let's bring like i mean we're in the question and answer time let's bring in our attend any attendees into the conversation are you okay if we bring you on can you guys hear me i can hear you that's chad Chad johnson Johnson. yes yes that is very unique obnoxious voice (laughs) (laughs) your voice isn't obnoxious (laughs) i appreciate that first of all i really enjoyed hearing you guys i heard you on the first episode robert and then this whole uh thing as well Thanks. I don't know, Seth. Did you did you want me to kind of like verbally say my question? I had. Go yeah. ahead, say it. I, you gave a really. Seth is not in control right now. I'm the captain. <laughs> <laughs> the, I just want to make that clear. Okay, captain. I'm the, yeah, I just. I'm the captain. <laughs> so, so basically, I mean, here's where I'm coming from. It, you know, obviously, I'm a straight white male married with two kids living the buckle of the bible belt Whoa, that's not that I, obvious the white male I, part I, is obvious just because your name part, is chad we're supposed is, to know all that straight Sir. part's debatable Come yeah on. well there is there is a uh there's, there's also a dark-skinned chad johnson as well there's a lot more famous than me <laughs> but anyway Fair enough. i i i grew up in a uh in an area where it was only about 50 percent white 
and and now uh, as an adult, I live in an area that's like ninety percent white. So of course, moving on um, up. Yes. My my thing that I'm seeing, my kids are 13 and 15 now, almost, well, almost 13 and 15, both two girls. And they just have a lot different perspective because they've grown up in this culture. Mm-hmm. And we go to a, an evangelical church. And of course, because of the population, it's predominantly white. Um, and I don't know, I, I feel like they're missing out on things I got to see as a child when it comes to, you know, we kind of, I'm 41 years old. So we, you know, me and my, I, I lived in an all black neighborhood until I was 13. So me and my friends that I had growing up, you know, our parents tried to teach us something different than what we did. You know what I mean? It, our grandparents especially did, you know? Um, and that was, and we started to realize, wait a minute, uh, my black brothers and sisters are not so bad. They're a lot of fun to hang out with. And that was, and that was kind of, um, so I had a lot of, a lot of black friends growing up. My kids don't have that. So they don't get to go to their house and hear their parents say, when you go to the store, keep your hands out of your pocket. You know, those type of conversations. Those, my friends taught me that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And my kids don't get that. And so now when they go to church as well, they don't, they don't hear anything about race. Like I tried that. We tried to watch a documentary on uh, on Amazon Prime about racial history and Christianity. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but um, they were just like, it wasn't that they didn't care. I mean, they care, but they can't connect with it. Like they they live in such a white world that they can't connect, and it bothers me deeply. But it's where yeah. I work and it's where I live, you know. Mm-hmm. But I don't I know how it. to teach that though. So is your so your question is like, how do you navigate these waters? Because they. You, in mostly white spaces. Yeah, I mean, especially like, you know, and the, the church, I feel like, should be the first ones that speak up, like with the runner that got shot here last week or two. Uh, well, I guess he was actually shot two months ago, yes. but it took him that long to do something. But it, that whole situation, like, that never gets brought up in a white church. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and where do you, like... And, what, and this and is what, the white church wife, that's raising support for the shooters. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Well, yeah. And then, Trash. so on the way home, let's say that this didn't happen now because we're all in quarantine. But what what could have happened is, you know, my kids hear me talk about that injustice, but then they go to church and they don't hear about those injustices, and so they'll hear me complain on the way home from time to time. Yeah. And then, I, you know, I I come across as the bad guy. You know. No. 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 About the church. Right, we're yeah, gonna meet so, you now, Chad. So we'll let him answer your question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have a few thoughts, and then to to me, uh jump in i um just to um get into this time i think um it's a great question chad first of all uh chad Schwalter. i think um <laughs> i well first I, I i look at it um the responsibility is first on parents then the church then society what would be mm-hmm. great is in a perfect world if it was society then the church than parents but our society is interesting and our church is <laughs> no comment <laughs> so, no comment on the church uh, <laughs> jesus christ is now. but i would say you're doing a good job because it's my responsibility to teach my kids about the world that they are supposed to enter into and so i think it's your responsibility to show your kids and tell them about the world they enter into. So you are the one you're doing good. Show them um, movies and documentaries. I, I have a friend who, or, or we have a mutual friend. They would watch Mississippi burning, which is like a very, <laughs> very intense movie from back in the day. And they will watch it regularly. Every February. (laughs) Every February. But I think you, as a white man, you model to your white kids, oh, no, this house? We're watching these (laughs) movies. So you regularly, monthly, you watch the movies because you don't want to lay that responsibility on school or your white church. So you find out those movies that are racial because you have to come back you're largely white society. So you kind of almost have to OD and go against the grain. So you go and watch the movies like 13th or you watch Malcolm Trayvon. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think, no, literally, because if you know you live in a largely white town, then I think it's your responsibility to show, to go against the grain and kind of OD on it. So that's the thing that I would say. And then it would be great if your church spoke about those things. I have largely found that white churches. Well, he goes to a to an AG church. They're not going to. Yeah, it, that's that's a lost cause. My a, my AG church doesn't, and then my my mixed church. Don't Sorry, either. I just wanted to throw a little, yeah. you know. Yeah, like my mixed church don't, and it's a lost <laughs> cause. Like, it's it's not going to happen. But what I will say, your kids will appreciate that they knew. Hey, my daddy did not play. <laughs> we, I didn't get it out there, but when I tell you, my daddy for free time, <laughs> movies, it wasn't just Lego movie. <laughs> we were in, we were in learning mode. So what do you, to me, so what were you thinking? How old are your kids, Chad? They're almost 13 and 15. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I would say first, my question was going to be like, um, you know, you kind of talking about it on the way home, like you really having it solidified in yourself why you're pissed, like so that you're able to articulate it and then helping to to explain to them why it's a problem that their church is not talking about this. Yeah. The other thing I would say that would make it easier is maybe just to have conversations like, I mean, you could show them the Ahmad videos. That's why I asked their age and it's up to you. You're the parent. But yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, like having a conversation about Ahmad, like show the video, what do you think? And where's that thought coming from? And why do you think you feel that way? And, and really beginning to like help them unearth some of their own implicit bias and then using that as a teaching moment. Um, but I think it's great, like what you're doing. I, I, I mean, we definitely don't want to be minions of the ch- like robotic people coming out of our churches. So I think for me, it's really important to like let let people have the dignity of thinking for themselves and then having a conversation within that. So for me, I would be, I would just show them whatever you're, you know, feeling free to show them and then ask them their thoughts, just point blank, like don't jump in, just ask them their thoughts. Um, and then begin to keep asking questions about where that's coming from. Cause I'm sure for you, your, your, process was about asking yourself hard questions. And when the answers didn't make any sense, you let it go. And I think that's probably the same journey you can kind of lead them on. And you want them to do that, like, once they get out of your house and throughout the rest of life. So I would just start there. That would yeah. be my opinion. Yeah. I mean, they, they find a lot. They're always interested in dad's history because they know that I've experienced things that they'll never probably experience, you mm-hmm. know. So I, I use a lot of that as examples. I mean, I, I'm Seth makes fun of me for being an AG church. It, it was non-denominational. The, then they joined the AG. Listen to uh, those much justifications. Thanks, Seth. <laughs> but, <laughs> listen, just listen but, to it. But I, I'm not your average. I mean, I, I let my kids, you know, we watch Mississippi Burning is a great example. I mean, mm-hmm. they hear dad listen to Kendrick Lamar. And it's like, <laughs> that, okay. that's like, I, I don't hey, care Chad. that they hear that. You know, it's, but I, I, th- like, I, I think the, NWA, so. I think the biggest thing, though, of what to me said is articulating the why. Because bigger than just dad being pissed, yeah is kids need to hear clear articulation why. It might even make sense to you, and you might think, I told them why. I found often, especially in these matters, parents don't say why, and they assume kids know. And it's not Mm -hmm. enough to just be mad. We have to raise our kids with clear thoughts. Yeah. Because they're going to exist in the world with the rest of us. And I need, I need your kids to know real actual thoughts, you know, because like, uh, they're going to, they're going to be big. Yeah, definitely. It's, I, I try to, you know, living in HUD housing, you know what that is. It's like a low income yes. housing. I lived in that until I was 13 and it, that my dad, uh, you know, he, we didn't have anything. They, my parents were 18 and 19 when I was born. So we had no money at all. Mm-hmm. He, he worked his way out of it, but something occurred to me. I went back to my old neighborhood when I was 21 years old, 20 years ago. I'll never forget. I visited my wife and I looked around and like some of the same families live there. And, mm-hmm. and something that occurred to me was their dads or their moms may have worked just as hard as my dad did, mm-hmm. but because it was still the eighties at the time, he got an opportunity to move up a step that their parents may not have gotten. 
Cause mm-hmm. I remember their parents worked hard too. Mm-hmm. And that, it, it, that was when I first started to realize what you talk about when you say white privilege. I'm like mm-hmm. that. It, it was a clear situation where both people worked just as hard, you know, and that, yeah. and I try to, and my, you know, like you, I do, try, I'm doing a lot of what you guys say, but it's still, you know, friends come into play and, and you know, they'll hear, um, matter of fact, my daughter, she made friends with, uh, with one, one girl at school who has a black father and a white mother. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and this girl, <laughs> she's also a nightest girl and she's mm-hmm. very much like, you know, like she got her, her friend got mad because all the white people were sad about Kobe Bryant dying <laughs> because mm-hmm. she's like the white people don't have a right to be mad about that, you know, <laughs> like stuff. And my daughter's like, why does she feel that way? And I said, well, honey, it goes, it goes a lot deeper than that, you know, and it, it's awesome. generating, generating conversations, but it, it's, um, there's still, there's still experiences that I had as a child that they'll just never have. I mean, there, there's stuff that I saw in homes. Not unless you move back into that low income housing. I, I know and that's, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I lived in the same house for 13 years and you kind of get settled in and don't want to leave. But yeah. there's this, there's an inner battle of like, I don't want my kids to have to go through what I went through. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, there's such a value. Especially in that daughters. Same time. Yeah. It's scary. But anyway, I appreciate you guys taking time to answer. No, you're fine. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for jumping on Chad. Appreciate you. Chris asked, what do you, what did your guys' take on black Israelites? Oh. <laughs> That's probably the last question we're gonna get into. Oh. Oh. I wish um, I had a, I wish I had a drink. I have thoughts. You right. I, uh, okay. I think about I'm just we're at Q and A. Like why, No, why this is good. No, this is great. Why not? I just okay. Go rap. Okay, so for for those who are <laughs> uninformed. Black Israelites, um, to me, so I'll have a more eloquent answer. I'm positive. So black, <laughs> black Hebrew Israelites, I, I became aware of them while I was in college because I had a Bible study and I was a very fresh convert and I was like very like, yeah. And there was a dude named Adonis and he came to Bible study and he always used to derail my Bible studies because he was real into the <laughs> Old Testament, and he will always ask these really hard questions. And I'm like, this seems really weird. But he was like very strong and like very like it was a lot, right? But I found out later that he was a Black Hebrew Israelite. But then I didn't, you know, that was before Google. Because I'm kind of old. Like, don't let these these beautiful looks fool you. And um, <laughs> but later, anyways, all that to say, Black Hebrew Israelites they have some very questionable beliefs and they think that they are the center of a lot. Uh, my father has also in prison converted to black Hebrew. Oh, Israelites. Okay. Um, so it's personal for me. Uh, so my thoughts, I have a ton of thoughts, but I would say what I would say is uh, what's sad to me um, is the why a lot of black men specifically Gravitate towards have, it. Have gravitate towards it, especially in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like the Malcolm X thing. Yeah, I think what's sad about it is um, it's an indictment against Christianity in America and yeah. against systemic racism. And because black men have felt so disempowered by the type of Christianity that has been presented, they find no place for them in a Christianity that seems disempowered. They also find no place for them in society. But here is a form of religion that makes them feel the most empowered, strong, and able to oppress others. And so it's like, it's almost like if you've ever seen Dragon Ball Z, it's like they can go Super Saiyan. Um, And so actually it's sad to me. Um, and so for my already abusive father, it gives him, uh, justification almost. Yeah. Language. Yeah. Justification to be even more abusive than he already was. Um, so sad to me. Would you that's, say that's probably yeah, go ahead. pretty cult like then it sounds like, well, is there, is oh, there a defined yeah. leader at all of, of the group? I don't I know. know. I don't know. Go, go to me. So what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Is there, I don't know. <laughs> So first, the thing about Black Hebrew Israelites is that it's not one thing. Yes. So I think that's what people get the most confused about it. There are pretty much three sects 
within that. There are Black Jews who basically have a Christological paradigm, and they also say that they are descendant from the original Hebrews. So they're not as problematic to me. It's just like, okay, they don't like white Jesus and they want to be special. The the <laughs> middle group is um, a way to break it down. I'm sure they'll love that. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if there are any Hebrew Israelites watching or listening. <laughs> love y'all. Um, but do you, they'll let, they'll uh, let you know. Trust. They yeah, are. they will. I mean, the, uh, they think that we don't know the Bible. That's one thing. So they do. Um, the funny thing is that the critique against them, the ones that have the Christological paradigm is that they they uh, have their own interpretation of the Bible. And usually that's white evangelicals making that statement, which is funny because so do they. But I think uh, the, the middle group True. is uh, they're going to be the black Hebrews, which they're just black people who practice Judaism. And then the black Israelites are like, we are the Jews of old. And so they, they follow a real strict form of, of Jewish tradition. And they, to me, they're not that problematic when you kind of break down that they're just trying to ha- like make, like Robert is saying, they're trying to make a way for themselves. And um, they're not problematic in the sense that like something they believe is super duper crazy. It's just more so they're real loud and, and real angry <laughs> and real passionate. Real loud. And I emphasize real loud. Yeah. But I mean, a, a part of it is a desire to like see their people come out of the sunken place. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that that's, that's kind of what's driving them. But like, they're, they're just black people who want nothing to do with white Jesus and who don't want to eat pork. And they're different from Nation of Islam because they kind of embrace, uh, they're a little bit more urban, I guess you could say. Like Nation of Islam is like an old, old, old great, great grandfather of Hebrew Israelites. So that's kind of where they're at. And obviously Islam is Quran and Israelites is Torah. I mean, that, it's really not that. It's not that scary when you deal with them. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like when you study no, them. no, 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 no. But it, it, when the loud ones, though, yeah, when you disagree with them, what gets scary? They get loud. Is they get loud? <laughs> yeah. So, so you kind of underselling <laughs> when you try. But and they're, push they're back. not going to be near anybody. I mean, they're not around here that much. They're mostly in the northeast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> don't undersell it. When they get loud, fair enough. That ro- that roaring lion. Yeah, they will. They'll come for you. <laughs> yeah, will bite your neck off. <laughs> You've been bamboozled. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yikes. <laughs> well, guys, this was every bit as uh, I want to say enjoyable because it was enjoyable but at the same time like this would be one of those episodes I'm looking forward to going back and listening to again because there was just a lot and I caught myself you know just like a deer in headlights almost because I know everything you guys are, are saying is true but I love the approach you guys take at it you know with the um the intellectual and the empathetic you know like just you guys's posture um sets up in a way that like makes it something that could be hard to swallow way more palatable and um and so i'm i'm looking forward to to the edit and the release of of this because i will um It's special. It's special to be able to have hosted having you guys on here because I, I feel like, um, you know, it's important work that you guys are doing. Yeah. So. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. No, oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. Seriously, seriously, seriously. Uh, it's enjoyable.